this morning we'll look at uh, the setting of our story that takes place around the Sea of Galilee, particularly the east side that's called the land of the Gadarenes. Number two, we're going to look at the similarities between Luke's account and Matthew's account of the story of the demon-possessed men. Luke records one, Matthew records two. Number three, that no matter how serious uh, the storms of life are, the Lord will always be with you in them. I will give you a New Testament and an Old Testament example. And then finally, we'll look at the difference between Mary Magdalene, a demon-possessed woman, and the demon-possessed man. Both had demons, both were delivered, but both had callings different from the other. Let's begin this morning by looking at the history of this land that's called the land of the Gadarenes. If you're in Luke chapter 8, we're looking at verses um, 26. I just want to read the first verse here. Then they sailed to the country of the Gadarenes, which is opposite Galilee. Now, I had went online, and without looking really carefully, I wanted the 12 tribes and where they settled 2,600 years before Jesus' time and this event take place. So, um, but I didn't look close enough. Uh, There were so many different layouts on how they had the tribes. The one I had sent to the office was wrong, so I'm not gonna put that on the screen, but I am gonna have you turn to the book of Joshua, chapter 13 and 14 and basically remind you that when they came into the promised land they crossed the Jordan and yet um, and I don't have time to read all 13 and 14 I'm going to point out a couple scriptures in chapter 13 I'm looking at Uh, verse 7 and 8 of chapter 13. Um, Now therefore, divide this land as an inheritance to the nine tribes and half the tribe of Manasseh. So he's talking about crossing Jordan, but notice it doesn't say the 12 tribes. It just says nine and then a half. Now read verse 8. While the other half tribe of the Reubenites and the Gadites received their inheritance which Moses had given them beyond the Jordan eastward, as Moses, the servant of the Lord, had given to them. Now, um, look at chapter 22, verses, verse 9. Let's just go over there. 22, verse 9. What had happened is... The Reubenites, Manasseh, and um, Gad, that's why it's called the land of the Gadarenes, they were particularly fond of the grazing on the east side of Jordan. And they asked Moses if they could stay there. Moses said, you can, but not until you go with your other brothers, the other nine and a half tribes, and help them conquered their enemies so they can settle their land. Now the land was divided by 
called lots. Everybody had a piece of land that was given to them except the Levites. Their portion was the Lord's. So when we read here in verse nine of chapter 22, so the children of Reuben, the children of Gad, that's why it's called the land of the Gadarenes, and half the tribe of Manasseh returned and departed from the children of Israel at Shiloh, which is in the land of Canaan, to go to the country of Gilead, to the land of their possession, which they possessed according to the word of the Lord by the hand of Moses. Moses says, okay, you can stay there. We conquered that land. But it's really not on the other side of Jordan, where the spies would have went, went in. And when they had come to the region of Jordan, which is the land of Canaan, the children of Reuben, the children of Gad, and half the tribe of Manasseh built an altar there by the Jordan, a great and impressive altar. Now the children of Israel heard someone say, behold, the children of Reuben and the children of Gad and half the tribe of Manasseh have built an altar on the frontier of the land of Cana in the region of the Jordan on the side occupied by the children of Israel. And when the children of Israel heard of it, the whole congregation of the children of Israel gathered together at Shiloh to go to war against them. All right, there's a misunderstanding. I'd like you to read on your own, be a Brian, and read all of chapter 13, 14, and 22 to get a complete picture of what's going on here. But it was a misunderstanding. Yes, they did build uh, a statue, uh, these two and a half tribes, but there was a misunderstanding. You see, everybody else thought they should have been on the other side of Jordan. It was causing confusion. So they thought once they got their possession that when they built this altar that they were forsaking the God of Israel and now worshiping some other foreign God. Unacceptable. So they're going to war. So we're introduced to Phineas here, the high priest. And um, he goes over, scolds them, says, what in the world do you guys think you're doing in rebellion, doing this? We're going to come after you. We're going to go to, going, going to war so on and so forth. And um, when he was done, uh, then these two and a half tribes spoke up and said, hold it, we're not in rebellion. But when we die, there's gonna be some misunderstandings unless we make it clear that we worship the Lord God and him only do we worship. We wanna be able to pass this down because we're on this side of the Jordan, there's gonna be misunderstandings. So we're going to erect this altar and call it the witness. That's actually what it means. Let this be a witness that we are with you. Well, they totally misunderstood to the point that the nine and a half tribes were going to kill these other two and a half tribes. So after they heard the other side of the story, how many times when you hear the other side of the story you come away with a different perspective? And so that's what happened here. And so Phineas said, oh, I get it, no problem. So everybody went home, and that happened 2,600 years before Luke chapter eight. I wanted to give you a little bit of the background because with it, over time, that's exactly what did happen. There was confusion. They did slip into things that they should not have. So as we go back, um, let's 
look at, um, go back to Luke chapter 8 again. So when it says in Luke chapter 8, um, verse 26, they sailed to the country of the Gadarenes. Well, that's on the east side of the Sea of Galilee. And the reason it's called Gadarenes is because Gad was one of the tribes that settled there. And it was known 2,600 later as that same uh, piece of property. Before we get to the land of the demon-possessed man, let's look at what happened earlier that day. Earlier that day, um, in verse 22, uh, 22 through 25, and I'm just going to stop at verse 22 and ask a question. So this is all happening the same day. Now it happened on a certain day that he got into a boat with his disciples and he said to them, let us go over to the other side of the lake and they launched out. So they're on one side of the lake on the west side and they're gonna sail over to the east side. At this point, I have a question. If Jesus said we are going to go to the other side, the east side, do you think there's any force in the universe that could prevent that from happening? Had not Jesus spoken and said this is what we're going to do? Do you think there's anything that's gonna stop that from happening? Somebody's tell me. Are you afraid to say no? (laughs) No. Jesus knew what was about to happen. He knew exactly about the storm that was coming. So what does he do about it? Let's read it. He takes a nap. (laughs) As they sailed, he fell asleep, and a windstorm came down on the lake, and they were filling with water, and they were in jeopardy. And the disciples come to him, and they wake him up, and they said, Lord, we're going down. Um, We're perishing. And he arose and rebuked the wind and the raging of the water and they ceased and there was a calm. Um, I got in my notes here that they woke him up from the storm and my paraphrased version of this, Jesus said to the disciples, boy, it's a good thing you guys woke me up or we would have been goners for sure. (laughs) Now, remember that because there's more that I'm gonna bring up on that later. No, verse 25. He doesn't say that at all. He just said, where's your faith? The only thing that he had said previously to that is get in a boat, we're going to the other side. Nothing's gonna stop that from happening. So they're all freaked out over the storm and he gets up and rebukes the wind and um, instead of comforting them, it's sort of a gentle reproof. Guys, I said we're going to the other side. Where's your faith? Why are you so bent out of shape? So um, they were afraid and marveled, saying to one another, who can this be? For he commands even the winds and the sea, and they obey him. Then they sailed. Okay, so continuing thought. Then they sailed to the country of the Gadarenes, which is opposite. Now, let's compare our text in Luke with Matthew's account of the very same story. So I'm gonna have you turn to Matthew chapter 
8, and we're going to find instead of, I got to go, I'm sorry, I got, we, we need to go back to Luke 8 first before I can do that because I didn't read what was happening after the next day, my apologies. Okay, so that happened. They're now sailing to the other side. Verse 27 of, of, of 8. And when he had stepped out on the land, there was met him a certain man from the city who had demons, plural, for a long time. He wore no clothes, nor did he live in a house, but in the tombs. And when he saw Jesus, he cried out and fell down before him with a loud voice and said, What have I to do with you, Jesus, son of the most high God? I beg you, do not torment me. For he had commanded the unclean spirits to come out of the man, for he had often seized him. He was kept under guard, bound with chains and shackles, but he would simply break the bonds and was driven by the demons into the wilderness. Jesus asked him, saying, what is your name? He said, Legion, because many demons had entered him. And they begged him that he would not command them to go out into the abyss. If you're taking notes, write down Jude. I believe it's verse six, where it talks about there are certain demons that are incarcerated until the day of judgment. And... um, This raises a lot of questions. Obviously, there were many demons that Jesus cast out of people. And obviously, according to Jude 6, there are some that are so fierce, they won't be released until the the great tribulation period. That's Revelation chapter 9, if you're taking notes. So the abyss is a place, and they did not want to go there. They're disembodied spirits, who fell with the rebellion. They were once angels, but when they fell, they became disembodied spirits. Their king over them is Lucifer. And verse nine, instead, verse 32, it says, now a herd of many swine were feeding there on the mountains, and they begged him that he would permit them to enter, and he permitted them. Now let me just stop and talk about being Jewish and eating ham and cheese sandwiches. It's not kosher. So what had happened over time in the land of the Gadarenes, that's two and a half, they began to compromise a little bit here, a little bit there, and all of a sudden, instead of raising goats and lambs and sheep, they're raising pigs. What are Jewish people doing raising pigs? So that was a problem. I like to say that the Lord was of killing two birds with one stone here in what he's about to do. So what happens, he allows the demons, then the demons went out of the man and entered the swine, and the herd ran violently down a steep cliff into the lake and drowned. Now I've been on the Sea of Galilee many times when we stop the boat for a Bible study. There's only one place. Well, I know where the land of the Gadarenes is, and there's only one place where the mountain comes down and there's a steep cliff that goes in. There's only one place on the whole Sea of Galilee. So I say, that's an A spot. That's where that event happened. We, Bob, uh, Bob Bennett was one who um, sent in a video for, 
for um, Richie's birthday party. And um, we had Bob on one of our trips. He wrote a song called Man of the Tombs, and uh, as only Bob could do. And we were actually stopped at this place. There are tombs there. And uh, Bob sang Man of the Tombs at this place. And uh, we don't know if that was a spot where it was cast out, but we do know it was close to that, that ridge that goes and drops off. I tried to get some pictures, but it didn't show it quite clearly enough. You just have to take my word for it for now. There's only one place on the Sea of Galilee in the land of the Gadarenes where this event could have taken place. So the demons went out of the man and entered the swine, and the herd ran violently down the steep place to the lake and drowned. When those who fed them saw what had happened, they fled and told it in the city and the country. Then they went out to see what had happened, and they came to Jesus and found the man from whom the demon had departed. Now I've titled this message this morning, Sitting at the Feet of Jesus. The reason I called it Sitting at the Feet of Jesus, Paul alluded to it earlier. We've all gone through difficult things, maybe not demon possession, but where Jesus has changed our life. And once we're out of control and whacked out and whatever. And um, we got to the place where one of the things we enjoy doing most is sitting like Mary, uh, Martha, sitting at the feet of Jesus and hearing his words. So here's a man who has been tormented with legions of demons, now delivered. And I picture him just sort of sitting like a pool of jelly at the feet of Jesus. It says, clothed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. Nobody would go near this man. And now they come out and they see him and he's just sitting at the Lord's feet in his right mind and and he's clothed. They also who had seen it told them by what means he had been demon possessed and was healed. And the whole region of the surrounding region of the Gadarenes Ask him to depart from them, for they were seized with great fear, and he got in the boat and returned. Notice this. Now the man whom the demons had departed begged him that he might go with him, but Jesus sent him away saying, No, I want you to return to your own house and tell what great things God has done for you. And he went his way and proclaim throughout the whole city what great things Jesus had done for him. That's Luke's account. Luke only mentions one man. Um, One of the way that we get a complete picture of the Gospels is by comparison. So I'm gonna ask you to turn now to Matthew chapter eight and read the same story and uh, look at some similarities and also some differences. So Matthew chapter eight, beginning with verse 28, notice that right before 28, we have the, the sea is stilled where the Lord rebukes them and says, why are you so fearful, 
Oh, you have little faith. So he adds the word fearful. Luke, he just says, where's your faith? Now, verse 28, when he had come to the other side, to the country of uh, the Gadarenes, uh, there met him two, not one, two demon-possessed men coming out of the tombs, exceedingly fierce, so that no one could pass by. And suddenly they cried out, they, not one, saying, what have you to do, Jesus, with us, Son of God? Have you come here to torment us before the time? Well, Luke tells us that they didn't want to go into the abyss. Here is, have you come to torment us before the time? The Bible says, don't you know that you guys are going to judge angels someday? Don't you know that the, the Bible says that hell was created for the devil and his angels? They know they only have a short time. When Satan is eventually cast out of heaven in Revelation 12, said he's cast down knowing he has a short time. And that was three and a half years. Evidently, these demons, people will often tell you, well, I believe in Jesus. And my response to that, so what? Demons believe in Jesus. And they know him and call him by name, the son of the most high God. That doesn't mean you're saved. And so, uh, verse 30, now a good way off from them, there was a herd of many swine feeding. So the demons, plural, begged him saying, if you cast us out, permit us to go into the herd of swine. And he said, go. So when they had gone out, they went into the herd of swine and suddenly the whole herd of swine ran violently down the steep place into the sea and perished in the waters. That's what I like calling killing two birds with one stone. He got the demons out of the men, but he also got rid of the unclean things that wasn't kosher for Jewish people to have. Then those who kept them fled and they went into the city and told them everything, including what had happened to the demon man. And behold, the whole city came out and met Jesus. And when they saw him, they begged him to depart from the region. They were afraid. They knew these two guys. Luke tells us that they found just the one that Luke chooses to zero in on um, at peace. Just like he calmed the storm, he calmed this man and he's just sitting at the Lord's feet with clothed and clothed in his right mind. Everybody in the local town knew who they were. Don't go around that place. It's dangerous. And uh, so we have these Two accounts. And what um, Luke tells us is the request of one of them is, Lord, I want to go with you. But the Lord says, no, I want you to go home. And I want you to tell people what happened to you. Now, let's contrast this demon-possessed man with a demon-possessed woman called Mary Magdalene. And hang in there, I'm going somewhere with this in case you think I'm getting sidetracked. Turn with me to Mark chapter 16. Mark chapter 16, and I want to draw your attention to verse 9. It says, now when he had rose early in the morning, this would have been his resurrection, he appeared first of all to Mary Magdalene, 
of whom he had cast seven demons out. What did these two people have in common? They were both demon-possessed. The Lord cast the demons out of both of them. And yet, um, she was also the first person that Jesus appeared to when he was resurrected. It was Mary Magdalene, which would be on the west side of the Sea of Galilee. What we read about Mary is everywhere that they went, Mary was a part of the crowd. Not always, she wasn't on the boat on that day, but it says that there was a certain group of women that traveled with the disciples and out of their sustenance provided for them. So Mary Magdalene, demon-possessed because of what the Lord had freed her from, she followed him. And she was also there at the cross and she was also there on Resurrection Sunday. She was the first one there. What's your point, Dwight? She was allowed to follow Jesus. But the demon-possessed man was told he wanted to go, but the demon-possessed man says, the Lord says, no, I want you to go home. I just want you to tell people uh, what has happened. My question is, why the difference? Why does Mary get to follow, and why doesn't um, the demon-possessed man? All right, let's make it practical at this point, practical application. Why are some called into full-time ministry and others are called to be witnesses in their own hometown and their own job sites? I personally believe that most Christians, when they become Christians, are called to be more like the man from the land of Gadarenes than Mary Magdalene, who was full-time with the Lord. Are we not all ambassadors for Jesus Christ? Good place for an amen. And yet some are called in a full-time ministry, but I believe the majority are not. And for those of you who think about that kind of stuff, because I did, and actually struggled with some of it, um, I find that um, most... Well, turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 7 and let me read what Paul says um, about this very issue. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, picking it up in verse 17. He talks about the very issue I'm talking about. The principle of abiding in God's calling. I believe most Christians, when you become a Christian, you should stay right where you are Continue doing exactly what you've always done, but now as a witness for Jesus Christ. We read in 1 Corinthians 7, verse 17, but God has distributed to each one as the Lord has called each one, so let him walk. And so I ordain in all the churches. Was anyone called while circumcised? I'll let him not become circumcised. Was anyone called while uncircumcised? Let him not be circumcised. Circumcision is nothing and uncircumcision is nothing. But keeping the commandments of God is what matters. In other words, the word of God is what really counts. Notice verse 20. 
Let each one remain in the same calling in which he was called. In other words, uh, keep doing, um, don't quit your job, don't leave your family, or don't feel that pressure, but stay where you are. Where you're called, where you're slave, don't be concerned about it. But if you can be made free, that's good. For he who called, for he who is called in the Lord, while a slave, is the Lord's freed man. Likewise, he who is called while free is Christ's slave. You were bought with a price. Boy, there's a great scripture. You were bought. You were purchased. Do not become a slave to men. Verse 24, underline it. Brethren, let each one remain with God in that calling in which he was called. That's, that's the Gadarene. Before he was demon-possessed, he was just a guy in town that everybody knew probably. And now the Lord, he wants to go, but the Lord says, no, I just want you to go and let people know what happened to you and be a witness in your own hometown. Be a witness uh, at your job site. Jesus has changed you. Let your light shine. Isn't that what it says? Don't hide it under a bushel basket. Um... On the other hand, there are those that Jesus calls into ministry. The Bible says, let your calling and election be sure. Uh, I believe today, well, I know some in ministry who are not called. Um, They are there, and I'm going to be blunt right here. They're there because of self-ambition, money, recognition, that's what's motivating them. Contrary to the Apostle Paul, who says it's the love of Christ who constrains me. And Paul was called. Remember he, when he was blinded? And Ananias came over and prayed for him. Ananias didn't want to. Said, not a good idea, Lord. This guy, he's not on our side. <laughs> he's on the other side. No, 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 no. He's a servant of mine. And I'm gonna have him speak before kings and leaders and many things that he must suffer for my name's sake. So that's a calling. He prayed all night, and when he came down from the mountain, he chose 12 disciples, and they were called. The Bible says, make your callings and election sure. So there's a difference, and it's more, I think, of a minority because you, um, of those who are, uh, not involved in full-time ministry. Like I said, we're still ambassadors for the Lord to be a good witness. I, I shared that this morning for those that wrestle with, um, um, should I go into ministry, should I not? And let me just tell you this. If you're called into ministry, the Lord will make it so clear to you that you will know that you're called. Good place for an amen. <laughs> you will know whether it's just abiding where um, you are when you're saved, or there's a special calling in your life and you'll know it. I knew beyond any shadow of a doubt when the Lord called me, I couldn't deny it. And I have to admit that I was not obedient right away. Took me nine months before I I surrendered and said okay, and I'm glad I did. Um, Turn to 2 Thessalonians chapter three. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verses 10 
through 17. I believe that the person who is like the man who goes home, he said, well, how can I really serve the Lord doing that? You know, how, if I'm just an everyday Christian going to work, doing my job. Well, Second Thessalonians, Paul says in verse 10, for even when we were with you, we commanded you this, if anyone will not work, neither shall he eat. I believe if you're a born-again Christian, you should be the best worker on the job site. I often tell the story of one of my elders years ago. He was a carpet layer. And um, he would witness on the job site. And the time came when I had to, we had to buy a carpet. So he was an elder in a church, so I thought I'd give that guy the business. So I went down, purchased some carpet, and I said, you know, Dave here that works here, he's a, uh, I know Dave, and Jesus, I was talking about Jesus all the time. He says, but I can't fire him because he's the best worker I got. He wanted to. He didn't like the fact that he was shining his light, and Dave would talk about Jesus wherever he went. But I can't fire him, he's the best worker I got. Now that's the testimony. That's what Paul is saying here. Um, if any man will not work, neither will he eat. For we hear that there are some who walk among you in a disorderly manner, not working at all, but are busybodies. That's the last thing a born-again Christian should be, going around, being involved in other people's matters. A busybody. Uh, for those who are such we command and exhort through our Lord Jesus Christ that they work in quietness and eat their own bread. Now I see a lot of relaxation there for you to take any pressure off, except just let your light shine. Did not the Lord say, my yoke is easy, my burden is light? And when you go through a difficult time, and you will, don't you think those people are watching you and saying, well, let's see how he handles that one. And when you have the peace and you're not anxious and are upset, you're showing people something different on the way a person would respond if they weren't a Christian. So we go on to read, uh, but as for you, brethren, do not grow weary in doing good. The Bible says Jesus went around doing good. And the only people who didn't like him, the common person, heard the Lord all the time. They wanted to hear his gracious words that he spoke except for the hypocrisy of the, the scribes and the Pharisees. I believe most men and women are called to be like that man. Um, and again, I share this with you because there are those who think, if I give myself to Jesus, I'll end up in New Guinea for sure. <laughs> I'm scared to death. You know, what is the Lord, where is he going to send me if I give my life to him? Don't worry about it. Uh, If he's got extra plans for you, he will know. No, if he calls you to full-time ministry, he'll show you, and he will call, and we are told to make our calling and election sure. I've talked to many people over the years who have come who feel they're being called into ministry. I just have one question for them, and, um, and, and that is this. 
make your calling and election sure. If this is the Lord, we're talking about the biggest change in your life. And the Lord is more than capable of reassuring you that this is where I want you. And if you don't make your calling and election sure, this is what's going to happen. Let's say you're doing it for another reason. You just do it. In ministry, greatest blessings. In ministry, the greatest trials. Now I can say amen to both of those things. (laughs) Now, if I'm called, I'm still gonna go through trials, but it's not gonna make any difference because I'm called. But if I'm not sure of my calling and I start going through trials, you know what's gonna happen? I'm gonna start second guessing myself because I'm not sure. Well, maybe I'm not supposed to be here. So the Bible says make sure of your calling if you're called in a ministry. We're talking about the rest of your life. So let's get back to um, trying to wind us up here. Let's close this Mother's Day with those of you who might be in the storms of life and the fiery trials that um, are there to test you. I need you to turn to 1 Peter chapter 1. Just talk about a little re- reality check here and how the Lord works. I'll give you a New Testament example and an Old Testament example. 1 Peter 1, verse 6 and 7. This is a completely new t- train of thought. In this you greatly rejoice, talking about our salvation. Though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials. Everybody goes through trials. Why? That the genuineness of your faith being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ, whom not having seen you love, though now you do not see him, yet believing you rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, the salvation of your souls. I'm going to heaven. I'm gonna meet my mom in heaven. I have absolutely no doubt about it. But in the meantime, um, there's this word called sanctification and justification. Now, justification is when you are born again and Jesus looks at you like the wedding day is already here, just as though you've never sinned. That's how the Lord sees you. Sanctification is a process that as you're saved as a baby Christian and you're fed on milk, you grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ to receiving the meat. Good place for an amen? It says we're being changed from glory to glory, but we're still justified in God's eyes because of what Christ did. So you're perfect in his sight, but you're still going through the process. Even Paul says, don't think I have my act together. I haven't yet arrived. He says, I still have all these faults. Matter of fact, the older he got, (laughs) he realized more of a sinner he was. He said, I'm the chiefest of sinners. We're talking about the Apostle Paul here. And if he's the chiefest of sinners, I I would probably say, no, Paul, I think I got one or two up on you. (laughs) And so we, we, we go through this process. What I want to point out 
is that your faith in everyday life is going to be tested by fiery trials. Let me elude and go back to the Sea of Galilee. Jesus said, okay, boys, we're going to the other side. That was the word of God. Nothing was going to stop that from happening. Takes a nap. He's so worried about it. The storm comes up. What do the disciples do? Not one of them said, don't worry about a thing. The Lord says we're going the other side. None of them said that. They didn't listen to the word of God and apply it to their life. And as a result, they became anxious, fearful, and dreadful. What was it? Well, the Lord knew it was going to happen. It was a test. When the test was over, what did he say? Where's your faith? Why were you so scared? Now, that's going to happen to you in life. And how you, res- how you respond to that is really a test because here it clearly says that your faith is going to be tested through trials. So life is a series of tests and how we respond um, uh, to the test and hopefully we grow and learn from one experience to the next. Turn with me to Daniel chapter three. I picked Daniel chapter three because it says the fiery trial that is to try you. In Daniel chapter three, of course, we have the story. Daniel's not in this chapter, but Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are. And Nebuchadnezzar has just had a dream that Daniel explained to him about the image of gold, but it would be be replaced with um, a chest of silver. And he said, another kingdom is gonna take your kingdom. Well, put yourself in Nebuchadnezzar's shoes. <laughs> Nobody's gonna take my kingdom. So what does he do? He makes his own statue, 60 cubits tall, solid gold. In other words, up to you, God. Nobody's gonna take my kingdom. And they're gonna worship me and nobody else. So he calls all the dignitaries in his kingdom to come to a certain time, to a certain place. When the music plays, everybody bows down to me. And anybody who doesn't bow down to me, they're gonna be cast into a fiery furnace. So the music begins to play. Everybody bows down. Can you just see everybody bowing down? And all except for these three guys. They stuck out like sore thumbs. And the word goes out and gets back to Nebuchadnezzar. Uh, Nebuchadnezzar, you know, the guys that you raised up to be leaders under Daniel, they didn't bow down to your golden image. And Nebuchadnezzar got extremely angry. And he calls him in. Let's pick it up. And he's basically saying, I'm going to give you guys another chance. You blew it. But I like Daniel, so let's pick it up in verse 15. This is Nebuchadnezzar speaking to Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Now, if you're ready at the time when you hear the sound of the horn, the flute, the harp, the lyre, and the psaltery in symphony with all kinds of music and you fall down and worship the image which I have made, good. But if you do not, you shall be cast immediately in the midst of a burning, fiery furnace. And who is a God who will deliver you from my hands? 
Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, I like these guys. Oh, Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. Do they sound fearful? Do they sound worried? Oh, we don't have to be careful about how we're gonna answer you here. Well, if that's the case, our God, whom we serve, well, he's able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace. And he will deliver us from your hand, O king. That's confidence. But if not, let it be known to you, O king, we do not serve your gods, nor will we worship the golden image which you have set up. They weren't going to buckle. Uh, The question is, um, Nebuchadnezzar wanted to kill them, um, and so he's even more mad in verse 16, and he says, I want you guys to heat up that fire seven times hotter. Now, the numerology here and the connections between this seven and the tribulation period and the Jews being supernaturally protected, there's a lot of... A lot of uh, more Bible study here than I have time to get into this morning. But they bind them. Notice that. They bind them. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. The guys that put them in the furnace. This is a fiery trial. Remember, Peter, to test you? Why didn't they bow down, by the way? Because the second commandment um, uh, clearly tells us in uh, it's Exodus, um, I got it written down here somewhere, Exodus 20, second commandment is that you shall not bow. Oh, here it is. Um, you will not bow down to any graven image. And so they were simply obeying the word of, the word of God. So we read that the men in verse 23 that threw the men fell down into the midst of the fire, they were killed. Then King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished and he rose in haste and spoke saying to his counselor, didn't we cast three men bound into the midst of the fire? And they answered and said to the king, true king. He says, look, I see four men loose. They went in bound. They weren't burnt. Their hair wasn't singed. The only thing that was burned is that which bound them. Walking, I see four men walking in the midst of the fire. They're not hurt, and the form of the fourth is like the Son of God. Who was in the fire with them? The Lord was in the fire with them. And they weren't harmed. They came out. And as a result of that, King Nebuchadnezzar went near and he called out and he called them out and he says, there's no God like your God and the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province. He says, I'm gonna make a decree to any people and nation who speaks anything against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. I'm gonna cut them in pieces and burn their house down because there's no other God who can deliver like this. My point, we were in First Peter chapter three. Without exception, um, believer or non-believer, there are storms in life. Can I get an amen on that? Are there not fiery trials? Okay, are some of them even life-threatening? As uh, disciples thought theirs was life-threatening, uh, 
And what does the Lord do? He says, I told you guys. It was all about the word of God and believing it. And with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, what was it about? Oh, you see, the word of God says we can't do that. So it doesn't matter who you are. We're not doing it because the word of God trumps who and whatever you are. Another good place for an amen. amen. That is what faith is all about. Well, I don't have that kind of faith. How do I get it? Well, by doing what you're doing this morning. Faith comes by hearing. Hearing comes by the word of God. You will be tested. You will be tried. You will go through fiery furnaces. Question is, how do you respond? When tested, don't look at the circumstances, but on God's word, and you'll be sitting at the Lord's feet, sound of mind, peace in the middle of the storm, Our Lord told us, I'll never leave you or forsake you. Romans 8, 28, we know that all things work together for good to those that love God. The thing is, in closing, the world's only getting worse and worse. The world hates you. And what's happening in our world today um, is Christians are under attack like never before, simply because you're a Christian. There are some Christians, there are some pulpits that are willing to compromise so that they don't have to face this persecution that's here. Last week, um, where we were staying in Colorado was literally one half an hour from the shooting in Highlands Ranch School. And it was on CNN, it was on Fox. They were, it was coming on live. We were watching this thing happen live and um, finding out, eventually they came out and said, well, one's an 18-year-old and one's a 17-year-old. And that was all the information that was given. Joseph Farrah from World Net Daily laid it out and told everybody what was really going on. So I'll close um, with this story. The Washington Times reported uh, Erickson citing heavy.com said on social media he hated Christians for their teaching on homosexuality. He apparently was not a fan of President Trump. The female wasn't really a female. She was in transition into becoming a male. She was a minor. What was the one thing they hated? They hated Christians. Why? Because we speak openly that homosexuality is a sin. Well, so is adultery, so is fornication, so is stealing, and so on and so forth. But because of our culture going down this, gang, it's only going to get worse and worse. And your position on it is all going to depend on who's molding you. The current trends in society or the word of God? It's going to be harder and harder to say that homosexuality is a sin because it's becoming so prominent. Everybody in this room knows somebody who's living the gay lifestyle or has lived the gay gay lifestyle. It's getting to, to the point that the hatred is becoming such that, um, um, you're narrow-minded, you're, you're bigoted. How can, aren't Christians supposed to love everybody? Well, as a matter of fact, I do love 
um, people that live the alternative lifestyle. But I'll tell them the truth if I have the opportunity. That it's no different than any other sin. And uh, sin separates man from God. And unless you repent of your sin, you can't be saved. Uh, it's the old saying, hate the sin and love the sinner. Amen? Okay, but society has gotten to the place today where it's so acceptable. You can't watch a movie, a commercial, or anything without that being slipped in. And unless the word of God is your final authority and you make that stand, you need to be a Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. You need to stand upon what God's word says. Uh, Even when all the circumstances like on the sea, we're going down for sure. No, we're not. Uh, I said, his word is, I said, you're not going down. Everything's gonna be fine. Oh, by the way, wind, sea, shut up. (laughs) And what was there? Perfect peace, perfect calm. And it's only when you compromise that the confusion settles in and you don't become as stable. Jesus as a wise man builds his house on a solid rock of God's word. Said the storms are gonna come. But the house stood, why? Because it's built on a solid rock of God's word. He says there's other people, calls them foolish men. They built their life on sand, which is not the word of God. Same storms come, same circumstances happened, but when the storm hits because it's not founded on the solid rock of God's word, it said the house fell and it was completely dismantled. And so as we wind things up on Mom's Day 2019, I don't expect things to get better. I pray for guys in the pulpit that they will not compromise in any way, shape, or form when it comes to any biblical issue and um, encourage the flock and the sheep. No matter what circumstances you go through, know this. People are watching you. Remember when the men came out from town and uh, they saw the guys that were feeding the pigs? They saw all this happen and they were afraid. And so know that you're being watched and how you're handling your situation and say, I don't know what's gonna happen, but I know what the Lord said here. He's never gonna leave me or forsake me. And he says he will keep me in perfect peace if I keep my mind stayed upon him. Good place for closing? Amen, let's stand and we'll pray. Lord, thank you for your word this morning. As we make our way um, through the Gospel of Luke, Lord, I pray for our moms again this morning. And I pray as family and friends get together that you would just bless them and uh, help balance that off with, Lord, your word this morning that charges us to listen carefully to your word and not to be anxious or upset or fret knowing that you're in the boat with us. You're in the fiery furnace with us. And these fiery trials are preordained by you to test our faith. And when we fail, that we learn from it not to fail the next time. So Lord, go before us this day. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. He says there's other people, calls them foolish men. They built their life on sand, which is not the word of God. Same storms come, same circumstances happened,
But when the storm hits, because it's not founded on the solid rock of God's word, it said the house fell and it was completely dismantled. And so as we wind things up on Mom's Day 2019, I don't expect things to get better. I pray for guys in the pulpit that they will not compromise in any way, shape, or form when it comes to any biblical issue and um, encourage the flock and the sheep. No matter what circumstances you go through, know this. People are watching you. Remember when the men came out from town and uh, they saw the guys that were feeding the pigs? They saw all this happen and they were afraid. And so know that you're being watched and how you're handling your situation and say, I don't know what's gonna happen, but I know what the Lord said here. He's never gonna leave me or forsake me. And he says he will keep me in perfect peace if I keep my mind stayed upon him. Good place for closing? Amen, let's stand and we'll pray. Lord, thank you for your word this morning. As we make our way um, through the Gospel of Luke, Lord, I pray for our moms again this morning. And I pray as family and friends get together that you would just bless them and uh, help balance that off with, Lord, your word this morning that charges us to listen carefully to your word and not to be anxious or upset or fret knowing that you're in the boat with us. You're in the fiery furnace with us. And these fiery trials are preordained by you to test our faith. And when we fail, that we learn from it, not to fail the next time. So Lord, go before us this day. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.